Okay, I want to ask a question. If you are six years old, would you raise your hand? Six years old, no wise guys. Okay, six years old, raise your hand and keep your hand up. If you're five years old, raise your hand. Five years old. Okay, so my six-year-olds, you have your hands up. My five-year-olds, you have your hands up. If you are four years old, you join in. You raise your hands as well. Um, If you are three Raise up your hand and hold it up. Okay, so my six-year-olds, five-year-olds, four-year-olds, and three-year-olds. Okay, you've got your hands up now. You can put your hands down, but I want you to look at me. As hard as that may be, I want you to look at me. All right? Um, I'm not going to be up here very long, I promise. These are my notes, just one page. All right? But I want you to do your best. You be my partner this evening by doing your best to kind of listen and be still because I I know that can be hard when a guy gets up here and talks about something that you're not sure you understand or are interested in. But but trust me, a lot of the adults feel that way too that are in here. But I want you to be my, my partner this evening just in the next few minutes when I'm up here so that you can listen because what I what I want to say is important stuff and I want you to try to benefit from it, okay? Are we in this together? Good. Well, if you have a Bible with you, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm serious, I just have one page of notes. Sunday mornings, six pages. So that should kind of put it in perspective. So that means I'll only be up here like 30 minutes. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now I want to read for you verses 7 through 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to remind you that what I'm about to read is God's Word. It is His holy and inspired and infallible, inerrant, life-giving Word. Okay, that's what this is. So let's give it our full attention. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And that is God's word. This summer, we spent some time in some of the Apostle Paul's letters, looking specifically at some of his prayers and some of his prayer requests. 
And if we were to look further into the letters of the Apostle Paul, which makes up roughly half of the New Testament, one of the themes you will find over and over and over again is the theme of gratitude, thanksgiving. It is all over Paul's ministry. Gratitude, thanksgiving. It runs like a river through his letters. Listen to a few of these words. From Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this we have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. You hear that? We always thank God for you. That was Paul's attitude towards his brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Romans chapter 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now here's an interesting one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. Now the reason why I say that's an interesting one is because the Corinthian church was such a hot mess. It really was. The people there were immature spiritually. They had begun to reject Paul's authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, instead gathering around them false apostles who were false teachers. They misunderstood the resurrection. They abused the Lord's Supper. They preferred rich people over poor people. And they refused to discipline a man in their church who was guilty of sexual immorality. And yet, Paul says, I thank God for you. And he can say that even though they're a mess, even though he's going to take them to the woodshed, even though he's going to correct them and rebuke them in this letter and in another letter, he can still with all honesty say, because God's grace is true in your life, despite your immaturity, I still give thanks for you. Now that is a lesson of how persistent gratitude ought to be in the heart of a Christian of how unrelenting it ought to be in us, that it ought to be firmly planted, that it ought to be there redundantly every day of our life to be thankful and to be grateful. If the Apostle Paul can give thanks for a people as messed up and who caused him so much pain as the Corinthian Christians, then certainly we can give thanks every day of our lives. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes this, I thank my God. In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all of you, making my prayer with joy, even as he reflected on their partnership of the gospel. It was 10, this didn't dawn on me until yesterday, it was 10 years ago in this service, the Thanksgiving service, that I was installed as the pastor of this church. And I can tell you that I say with the Apostle Paul, I thank God for you. The Lord brought this church into my life and the life of my family in a time when we needed to be a part of a healthy church. I thank God that I get to serve among such a kind people, a people who love the Lord. I thank God for your spirit of mercy and the way that you give full support to the ministry we have here on this hill. I thank God that 
you are people who receive the word of God preached with joy and with attentiveness. But there's more. In this particular letter that I just read from 2 Corinthians, that's Paul's most autobiographical letter. He gives us more personal details in 2 Corinthians than he does in any of his other letters. And in this letter, he references his sufferings and the sufferings of his fellow apostles a lot. And for reasons that belong to God's wise providence, he has caused this church, Covenant Presbyterian Church, to steward a lot of suffering, a lot of instances of pain, a lot of sorrow. We could go around this room and hear stories of those who have endured and are currently enduring things like loss, chronic illness, despair, types of loss that are shattering. And yet I see a people, and I've learned this among you, being among you, I know I can say this, I see a people here who can say with the Apostle Paul, as he said of himself and his fellow apostles, we are afflicted but not crushed. And I do not exaggerate when I say that there are times when I walk among you and know so many of your stories that I feel as though there are moments when I'm treading on holy ground. Because I fellowship with the people, I worship with the people, I preach to a people every week who have stewarded great sorrows and losses and pain. And yet you do so in faith, enduring, giving praise to God. And for that I give thanks. I always Thank God for you. Do you see how Paul describes his present condition? Beginning there in, in, in verse 7, he, he paints a picture that is, if it were not for the grace of Jesus Christ, would be devastating. Here's the language he uses. Afflicted in every way. Perplexed. Persecuted. Struck down. And make no mistake, he's speaking about physically being struck down. Paul himself, as he'll tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, had been subjected to the Roman scourging of whips across his back. He'd been subjected to being beaten with rods. He had had stones hurled against him in an attempt to kill him. He literally knew what it was like to be struck down. He writes, always carrying around in our bodies the death of Jesus. Now Paul is not speaking esoterically there. He's not talking about some sort of a spiritual esoteric death. He's saying, we as the apostles have the death sentence on our lives. They are being pursued and they will be executed. All of them except for the apostle John, he'll die in exile. So when Paul says, we are always being given over to death, we apostles, we're always being given over to death, he's not speaking conceptually, he's saying, really, we live with the sentence of death hanging over our heads. And he says, therefore, death is at work in us. How can it not be? But through all of that, he says, but it's because through us life will be at work in you. He says, we have this treasure, meaning the gospel, We have this treasure in jars of clay, meaning him. Paul says, if you want to know what my life is, here it is. I am a clay pot. I am damageable. I am replaceable. I am inexpensive. And I am common. But I house a treasure. And that is the gospel of Christ. 
So you can break this vessel, you can destroy this vessel, you can replace this vessel, but what stands forever is the gospel of Jesus. And he says, that's why you've seen any measure of power in me or in the other apostles. It's because of what we carry in us, the gospel of Christ. And do you see in verse 15? For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul says, here it is, summing up, here it is. All of this perplexity, all of this being hard-pressed but not crushed, all of this having the sentence of death on us, here is why it all is. It's for your sake so that grace may extend to more and more people. You know, the, uh, the letter to the Philippians, we, we preached through that several years ago, is Paul's most um, explicitly joyful letter. He has no correction to give to the Philippians. They were such a healthy church. Not perfect, but so healthy. Paul has no rebuke, no correction. He just praises them. And what he praises them for about more than anything else is their eager partnership in the gospel with him. They give to his ministry. They pray for his ministry. They participate in his ministry. They themselves, as a church in a Roman city, are active in the mission of the church to make Christ known. And so he gives effusive praise to God for them. Because why? Because as they continue to labor and give and pray, as they continue to partner with the ministry of the gospel, guess what? Grace will extend to more and more people. That's why we do what we do. So that grace, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, will extend to more and more people. Why is this building on this hill? Why do we gather here on the Lord's Day? Why do we disciple each other here so often throughout the week? Why do we do it? Why do we give to support the ministry? Why do so many adults give their time to joyfully invest in teenagers and in children and in older people and in each other, leading home groups? Why is all of this going on? So that grace will extend to more and more people. And the end result is this, is that God will be glorified upon the gratitude of his people. Isn't it an extraordinary thing to think that the holy God, entirely, eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing from our hands, we don't have anything to give him that he lacks. He is entirely self-sufficient, entirely existing upon his own and through his own power, and yet he is glorified in the thankfulness of his people. Thankfulness, I am convinced, is one of the great indicators of real, genuine, God-sent revival. And here's why. Because thankfulness runs against everything that is typically so natural in us. Thankfulness is hard. But thankfulness is such a great antidote to sin. Struggling with materialism? Be thankful. Struggling with coveting, wanting something that belongs to someone else? Be thankful. Struggling with lust? Start being thankful. Struggling with gossip? Be thankful. Struggling with a grumbling attitude? Be thankful. Struggling with pride? Be thankful. Struggling with sorrow? Be thankful. I can't think of a single sin that in one way or another can be remedied at least in part by a grateful heart. And so let us together be a thankful people. Before we strike out in anger, let us give thanks. Before we grumble or criticize, let us give thanks. 
Before we express hopelessness or despair, let us first give thanks and look for God to be glorified in the gratitude, in the thankfulness of his people as grace extends to more and more. Let's pray. Now, our Father and our God, we ask your help so that your word will remain with us to bear fruit in our hearts. God, thank you for this church, these men and women, these children, these brothers and sisters, these students, not just this church as an abstract entity, but these very people. Thank you. And God, I pray that you would cause us by your grace to be a people of great gratitude, of humble praise, and of joyful thanksgiving. And this we pray through Christ the Lord. Amen.